Welcome, everybody, to the Mocha Live podcast. We have an incredible episode for you, but first, a really important PSA. The Museum of Crypto Art is a foundation, and we need your help to sustain our operations. Now, this is not just an empty call for funds. Uh, over the summer, we held an open call for artists to submit artwork, and over 700 artists did, sending us art across styles and aesthetics, which we've assembled into a gorgeous mosaic NFT, uh, then minted as an open edition. It's not only the largest collaboration in the history of crypto art, it's a fully dynamic NFT that with the click of a button becomes an interactive, randomly sequenced, scrollable showcase for all the submitted artworks. Uh, it contains OGs like Matt Cain, Dmitry Cherniak, and Snowfro, uh, as well as a ton of others. It's essentially an automatic crypto art collection. And if you visit at Museum of Crypto on Twitter or visit app.manifold.xyz slash C slash mocha dash fundraiser dash 2023, I know that was a mouthful, you can own one or more, and we kindly ask you to do so. They cost only 0.014-2069 ETH apiece, which is less than $25. If you're an artist, we also ask you to visit museumofcrypto.notion.site, where there are instructions under Mocha Guides on our Burn to Redeem function. In essence, we hope that artists will mint their submissions to the fundraiser, or anything else that they like, as independent NFTs that can be redeemed in exchange for burning a Mocha fundraiser NFT. We'd love ideally to see people purchase five, six, 10 of our NFTs and use them to acquire work from all sorts of artists they admire. Again, if you're interested at all, please visit our Twitter page or reach out to myself at Cohen the Writer to learn more. Now onto the podcast. Colbert and I are blessed with an incredible guest this week, the inimitable Pollyanni, who has been making crypto art for four years, not only as a brilliant artist, but as an erotic artist. Her work spans not only aesthetics and tones, but kinks and fetishes. There are few better people to speak to about crypto art in general, but especially about the oft-underlooked world of sexual, erotic, and pornographic NFTs, and the sex workers who create that work for the whole space's benefit. I feel like I'm always saying this, but this really was one of my favorite episodes we've done. Pollyanni knows the subject as well as anyone, and I came out of this conversation knowing a lot more about something I care a lot about. So please, enjoy our conversation with Pollyanni on this week's Mocha Live podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. It is 4.31 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is Max Cohen. This is the Mocha Live podcast. Uh, joining me on this week's Mocha Live podcast is all of you. And also the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, as always, Colborn Bell. Colborn, how are we doing? We're doing wonderful, Max. Thank you. Excellent. And also our very special guest today, the wonderful artist, Crypto Art OG, Polly Annie. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I just realized during that intro that at the end of these podcasts, I always say we'll be back next week at the same time. And uh, we're almost never here at the same time. So thanks everyone for being with us a half hour earlier than usual. So today I wanted to talk about, Annie, your career and also kind of what that means for crypto art as a whole. Um, you know, you're very forward with you know your art style, which is sex forward. It's erotic. Um Pollyanny, I believe, is a reference to polyamory, which has all sorts of other connotations that some of which are socially accepted, a lot of which are taboo. Um, I've been in a polyamorous relationship before, so I know a little bit about it myself, but I remember seeing that name for the first time on uh, Hidden Truths, the piece, you, uh, sub, or the piece of yours in the Genesis collection. I was like, all right, kindred spirit. Um, so as I was thinking about a topic for this, I went through your Medium page, which is really robust, and you've been writing on there since uh, 2019. And uh, on June 18th, 2019, the very first words you ever wrote on Medium were, quote, accepting the fact that observation changes the state of the observed, I found that if I want to change something, I first need to shine a spotlight on it. And this plays into one of my kind of deepest held beliefs, um, especially in American culture, that we have these two like premier taboos, right? Sex and money. And because they're taboos and because we don't talk about them, it leads to this kind of an awkwardness, so, you know, socially unhealthy, socially unhealthy attitudes about both. So I, I thought that this conversation would be so important today, not just because of your experience over you know, four plus years in crypto art, not just because you're a brilliant seasoned and prolific artist, um, but because we haven't really gotten into talking about, you know, sex in crypto art and eroticism in crypto art, you know, crypto as a whole has deeply misogynistic tendencies and hyper male tendencies, 
Um, the first sex worker, uh, other than yourself, that I knew of in crypto art was Cryptonatrix, who's written at length about the problems of blacklisting. Um, she's been blacklisted from so many crypto art platforms. Um, so as a kind of introductory question, I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, is there a general problem in crypto art um, as it relates to how we discuss tokenized perceived sexuality? Yeah, I think that it's a problem that's not unique to crypto art. I think it's an, like you said, it's an overarching problem um, in just in general society and culture. So I, again, it's not unique to crypto art. So yeah, it is a problem, but um, it's not, you know, uniquely our problem. Have you experienced that kind of same like blacklisting or kind of minimization of yourself and your career that, that I know crypto matrix has been very upfront about? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I am. Uh, I've just done a lot. I feel like as far as creating and collecting and educating, and I feel more or less uh, kind of invisible in this mm. space as a whole. I feel like I've definitely um, made you know my stance in the the smaller niche of um, the adult you know NFT and, and crypto space. But as far as the, the larger, you know, crypto and NFT communities, I definitely feel um, not as, you know, as seen as I should be. Yeah, I mean, especially considering you've been here for four years. Colburn, I'm curious, when, when did you first come into contact with um, Annie or, or, or the work as Polly Annie? Would it have been on Rarible? Was your work on Rarible, Annie? It is. I, that was one of the first, um, the first platforms that I used. It would have been on on Rarible. There was not so much, mm, say, sex forward or explicit work on the other platforms at the time, but Rarible was like very open to all creators and that was super cool. Yeah, you know, Colborn, the first, uh, or one of the first erotic crypto artworks that I remember coming in contact with something that you collected in 2022, um, which was Celestial Bodies by Yulia Scher. Um, sure. I'm, curious like as you know you've seen the space develop over the last you know four or five years or so like how have you seen crypto art like embrace or repulse like sexuality or eroticism in art i mean it's it's really interesting <laughs> right obviously we we exist in a very like male forward industry that that is obvious um <laughs> but it it you know, for all the benefits that it could afford, whether it is like some sort of digital sovereignty or anonymity or the ability to kind of transfer more freely, it's not so common. Um, and it seems, I, I don't know, you know, I get that. I, I totally understand that it's difficult and you're putting yourself out there in a way that is uh, like, it's it's so it's so forward and personal and a lot of crypto art is built on kind of abstraction from that identity uh of like being a person so you know you you think of like the stuff that has really taken off it's like abstract and generative it's as far from the human body uh as as possible yeah i mean you talk about cryptonatrix and her and i started around the same time and her piece that got banned on Rarible, the Sistine Chapel of Smut. Now that came out around the time, like on Rarible, there was an AI collection of nude women. And they said to me very specifically uh, on Twitter at the time that their main goal was to eliminate all sex workers, all real human sex workers. Now that collection was commonly trending on Rarible at the time that uh, Cryptonatrix Sistine Chapel of Smut was removed from Rarible and she's fully clothed and she has a strap on and she's waving it around. It's actually a very tasteful piece. There's no actual nudity in it. And I actually, when that piece became available on OpenSea, I bought that piece as part of my band art collection. And it's the most I've ever spent on anything other than rent. Um, to get that piece because I felt like it was really significant for the time because like, oh, wow, like we can have nude fake women, AI, AI generated women that are trending on Rarible. But this piece that was created, you know, by, uh, you know, a female creator 
fully dressed <laughs> with a strap on was actually removed. So yeah, I mean, it was, um, yeah, yeah, it was unfortunate because I feel like a lot of us kind of like the early ones of us kind of came to this space uh, for more opportunities, not to kind of be censored more. How, how did you find like NFTs when at such an early time? And I, and I know again, like reading your medium that it seemed like you were starting to kind of embrace you know, a, a like a sex forward personality with Pollyanni through 2019, it seemed like that kind of developed concurrently to your NFT journey. Yeah, I, it was interesting. I was into blockchain and then I discovered hollow chain, which like, totally just cracked my consciousness open. And then I got back into blockchain because I feel like hollow chain is more into the future. And it, sorry, I, what is hollow chain? Hollow chain. I, you, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, <laughs> But it is worth looking into, and I would definitely uh, look at it because when I started learning about that, I absolutely fell in love, and I was sold. And uh, when I realized it just wasn't the tech wasn't quite you know ready to use yet, that blockchain was kind of like the next best thing for the time being. But mostly, I got into it uh, because of censorship. Um, so I'd been just kind of dabbling into blockchain, learning about crypto. But I didn't learn about NFTs until I lost a couple significant accounts. Um, one was a Periscope account. I did 130 days of live yoga, and uh, I live. I've never done. I've been that, that dedicated to anything before. And one day, I woke up and my account was gone. And in 130 days, I had created 20,000 follower accounts and I, it was just moving and it was amazing. And because they thought that it was too sexy, it was too provocative, even though I followed the terms of service, my account was removed and all of my content gone. Uh, my 130 days of yoga was completely gone. I had no access to it. And... Um, Somebody, one of my followers on Twitter reached out to me. Uh, he's sort of been my NFT mentor. Uh, his name is Root Draws. And um, he was like, hey, I think that what you do would be really cool on NFTs. And not many people are doing it right now. And I think there's a lot that could be done. And it just really caught my attention. And so I was actively looking for solutions to censorship. And that's sort of how I found NFTs because I wanted to document my work in a way where nobody could take it and decide that it was inappropriate and remove it. I mean, I feel like that problem has not been addressed. I feel like every day I'm seeing more and more platforms that are becoming more strict with whatever arbitrary guidelines of, I don't know, restrictions and such that they're putting on work. And I've noticed that you know, you are active on all these different sites, right? You mentioned Periscope, but even just, you know, clicking through your link tree, it's like there's Chatterbait, there's Hive, there's Spankchain, there's Sharesome, there's Pleasurely. I mean, when you make all these accounts, right, and you're kind of like stretching yourself across all these different platforms, I mean, A, I imagine that must be kind of shocking to the cohesive self. I mean, I imagine you're putting out different kinds of content on each one, but was that a matter of being kind of blocked or blacklisted or following an audience where they were? No, at first it was part of my strategy um, of trying to get my work out there was to go wide, um, to go to shallow but wide. Because uh, I was really just first starting out as Pollyanne and doing this erotic art and this sexual exploration, and I didn't have an audience yet. And so instead of like going deep with any one platform, because I really didn't even know what I was doing, I was like, I'll go wide and I'm going to put my stuff everywhere and just see what catches, you know. And then as I went along, I started to realize that different types of content could be put on different platforms. Like I use my Instagram as a gallery and it's unique in that way. I don't use any other platform like the way I use Instagram, say I use like uh, Twitter X as like my social platform, but I don't use Instagram as it. I use, um, yeah, so each platform has its different things. So starting out, it was definitely just I wanted to go wide, see what hits. Um, and it also benefited me in search engines. Um, now, if you search Pollyanne in any Internet search you know, browser, you're going to find uh, all of my stuff. And I feel like a lot of that really has to do with um, that kind of initial going wide. And then I've kind of just I've minimize that a good bit as the years have gone on um mm -hmm. i can't keep up with all of that anymore because <laughs> it's insanity but um 
and now I've kind of narrowed it down to the few that I have. But ultimately, it's really just a part of who I am. Like, I'm Polly. <laughs> and that bleeds into, like, every aspect of my life. Like, I could never just be, like, an advocate or a representative of, like, one platform or a user of just one platform. You know what I mean? That's just really not who I am. I, I feel happier and more fulfilled um, to have many different kinds of connections in many different places. I mean, that's also Colburn. That's like the blockchain ethos, right? I mean, you have artists who are minting what they mint on super rare versus rareable versus object versus now zero one. Like all these places have their own like individual ethos or, or community. So the the work I brought up before that you had collected in 2022, um, like Cosmic Bodies, um, that's on super rare. And I feel like that's a, a rarer place, no pun intended, to see this kind of like erotic art. I feel like it lives in kind of these more... I don't know, creator driven realms, um, at least the way I see it, like these other platforms are a lot more creator driven than like super rare, which is kind of this, I don't know, it feels a lot more like institutional than it is creator driven. You know what I mean? Ah, I don't, I don't know which work you're referencing. Cosmic bodies. Yeah. Let me find it for you. Um, Please, that would help. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Celestial bodies by Yulia Sure. It's wonderful. Ah, it's like, so- Celestial body. Sorry, it's all these different like right. panels, um, and I I'm not sure if it's the oh, artist or come on. It was like when when I saw this piece. Okay, now I'm here, and I I love this piece because this piece also yeah, was it's like, amazing. Um, it was originally minted somewhere else, and then she brought it over to Super Rare, and I wanted it uh, when I saw it before, and then I, I I went back. I didn't have the money at the time to buy it, um, and I like went back to find it. And I asked her, like, what happened to this? And she's like, oh, you know, actually, like, I minted it over here on Super Rare. Um, it's incredible. I like to just blow it up on a big screen. And then slowly people, like, are like, oh, those are two women having sex. And it looks, like, abstract from from a distance, all, like, the, the different positions. It's incredible. It's, it's, yeah, it's incredible work. Annie, I linked it yeah. in the private chat. I know you're on your phone, so I don't know what uh... – open up a bunch of different tabs would look like, but um, I won't be able to look at it now, but I am curious to see it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite a, a masterwork. Um, I want to return to something um, that you had said, Annie, in your early um, medium posts as well, where you, you would continuously say that you were creating Pollyanni, i.e. like the Pollyanni character. Um, and you said people on CB, which I assume was Chatterbait, uh, we'll know Pollyanni and they'll like her and she's nice. I like being known as a good person, a genuine person. Maybe Pollyanni could be more confident and direct than me. So I think this is really interesting, especially with the lens. And we have been talking about crypto matrix too, but like you're a creator who's very forward with all these aspects of your personality. Obviously, you know, you're not, your face is out there, your body, right? Your turn-ons, like these very specific facets of your personality. And yet there is an anonymity that you're still, prioritizing and achieving. So I'm curious, like, A, how you achieve that. And also, like, where do you draw the line between being this character and then being so forward with all these other identifying aspects of yourself? Yeah, honestly, that is such an interesting topic. And I feel like we could have a whole hour discussion about that alone, because that's just been such an interesting journey. But as simply as I could say it, like, I created that alter ego so that I could personally explore my sexuality and document it. Because I just felt like at the time as an art, like, as an artist, my art expresses what I'm currently going through in my life. I've been an artist you know, since, you know, I could, you know, be, make decisions about, you know, my life. And so it it took a turn towards sexuality, but that was, you know, like you're saying, like a topic that was sort of taboo and I couldn't explore that being who I, who I was and I needed somebody else to be able to explore that. Um, And so I created Pollyanni to be able to do that away from the eyes of the people I knew. And away from the artist that I was before, you know, I was Pollyanni. An interesting thing happened, like, over time, like, it was, like, it, it was never really completely a character, but more of an alter ego. And, and, like, as time went on, I actually started to become Pollyanni. When, like, it, it there became a tipping point where more people that I interacted with in my life called me either Polly or Annie or Pollyanni than by my real name. 
I started to really actually become this person. And so now like Pollyanna is actually like oh, just a part of, of who I am. Um, maybe even currently a bigger part of like who I am. Yeah. It's, it's just so interesting. Like again, to have that kind of dividing line. I mean, you know, most people stop like the, they have the PFP and then they or so many people have the PFP. We were just talking last week about um, or uh, in the last couple of weeks about crypto punks and how like Coborn had never really wanted to be identified completely with the crypto punk and with some kind of like a, a project whose ethos didn't align with his. It, it seems like you managed to not only achieve that anonymity, but do so in like a really, I don't know, unique way that doesn't rely on the caveats and accoutrement that, people in this usually seem to uh, gravitate to, you know, the picture of the online identity. Um, I mean, like that it's an anonymity that comes from essentially like playing a role. I mean, do you feel still to this day? I know you say that it's a bigger part of you than maybe you, you, but like, do you still feel like you have to segment yourself when you're in this space or is it now so natural? Well, there are, I mean, there are parts of my life that I, I keep private, of course. I mean, lot that I share and and that's just honestly an interesting thing too like that like me feeling comfortable sharing my body is more like natural for me than me sharing the contents of my mind like me sharing like my articles on medium me sharing my thoughts and ideas me engaging with teams in the community is more like doing this is more intimate to me than taking pictures of my body and so that's just kind of like a personal thing. So I think we, we live in a really unique time where we get to actually choose, you know, our narrative and which parts of ourselves that we want to share and what parts of ourselves that we want to keep private. And, you know, yeah, I think like blockchain allows us to do that too. Like we can be anonymous, but we can also be transparent at the same time. And so I feel kind of like Pollyanna embodies that like, Pollyanna isn't a character. I mean, it's very genuine to who I am. Of course, of course. But it's not like there is, I mean, I'm not only, I'm more than, you know, we're all multifaceted. I'm more than my art. I'm more than my sexuality. And, you know, so I just choose which parts of that that I want to share. Even that's interesting because I feel like so many people in crypto art, they completely either publicly or privately, like they announce their intention to embody fully their art, right? It does seem like, there's this fetishization of like being totally an artist, right? That's every facet of you. Um, even the, to a deleterious extent, sometimes. Um, it, uh, one thing that I think is interesting, you know, Colburn, you had mentioned before how the works that seem to receive so much notoriety are those that take people out of them, right? The generative works, the abstract works, but Annie, you create abstract works all the time. I mean, like I'm thinking like your butt paintings, right? Which are these kind of abstract, pieces just like color splashes and of course if you know the context you're obviously there in them but in terms of like the pure aesthetics that's not clear i mean i don't really know i mean i guess the first thing that came to mind is like even my shirt right now i'm wearing like this is a print of my art like i wear my art my hat's painted like it's remnants of like my art i've created so i mean i guess like a big part of my identity is you know tied to my art but i'm, I'm not yeah, I will say there is something that I feel is important that is underexpressed when people bring things that they have made physically or are themselves into like cementing it into a digital space, right? Because when we talk about generative art with code or when we talk about like AI art with computers, it's it's kind of like this, this, the same line. There's something to me that's really exciting when like the the body and the human and the imperfection meets like these hyper logical systems and like putting that cementing that immutably for all of time is there's something more human about it that excites me it, it was kind of like the same feeling when i saw uh mattia coutini's hand stamps right you know just like hand stamp work stamp 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 and then digitize it upload and sell it it's you know it's um it's like proof it's proof of work and like Proof of being in a in a different way. It's cool. Proof of being. I like that. <laughs> I mean, it, it also draws your attention to like the screen itself, right? I, I remember when I first came in contact with Pindar Van Arman's works, right? The robot paintings, mm -hmm. how he's sending digital uh, concepts into the physical world, giving them the imperfections of paint on a canvas and then bringing them back, right? It forces you to be aware of like the actual 
medium by which we're looking at each other and the fact that there is this divide between the digital and the, and the physical worlds. I mean, I, I think especially like in sexuality and in porn in general, that dichotomy is completely lost um, or maybe not. I mean, there's like so much POV pornography out there that is like almost designed to eliminate the fact that you're like looking at a screen, right? You're the idea is that like, it is just going like the video itself is acting as your eyeballs. And I feel like that's almost a missed opportunity to draw attention to the fact that like, there is this glass screen behind which there is different properties of reality. And Annie, of course your work is so, it's so physical, but it's also so distant because you are not, everything's been flattened and kind of like been given the perfection of the flatness of the screen. Do you know what I mean? Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, You know, we, we were talking about segmentation before of the personality, but obviously there's so much segmentation within the crypto art world too, but there's a hard line. It seems to me between platforms that like showcase or index NFTs. And then these other platforms of which you've made use like Spank chain or pleasure nifty that are specifically tailored to sexual content. Um, and I, I want, would like both of your attitudes or opinions on this, because I think that you'll probably come at it from, from different spots. And, but like, why is there this segmentation between these sites that are kind of like avowedly okay with explicit, you know, sexual pornographic content and those which seem to want to distance themselves. I mean, Colburn, I imagine you have something to say about like VC funding, et cetera. Um, at least in my head when I have my imaginary conversations with you. I'm, well, I, I can always go rail against VC funding, but <laughs> there hasn't been a new technology that hasn't really been brought forward by either pornography or gambling, right? These are like so instinctual human things that it just like draws people in. So it's fascinating to me that frankly, we haven't seen more of this, but I would imagine, you know, in this, that there's also because perhaps there is stigma and there is a lot of deplatforming, uh, you know, people who might be engaged in more explicit activities really don't want to maybe like break ground into these new places and they go where they know that they're safe already and can express in this way and don't want to kind of like worry about again, like building up something, building up an audience, building up some asset base, and then kind of just having it all ripped away from them. It's, that's very scary. Devastating. Devastating, honestly. Yeah. But, and then again, you know, I've seen like Maya Kendrick talk a lot about like the importance of like buying pornography as opposed to just watching it on these like freely indexed sites. Um, and that's just not spoken about at all. And so I'm, Anna, you look animated. <laughs> yeah, I get really passionate about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, I get passionate about this. I mean, honestly, I feel like uh, the reason why I use like the the niche platforms, other than like, I mean, I use them all, honestly. Like, I don't. Um, I just again, Polly, but the the niche communities, at least, like I know that I can get on the trending pages. I can be promoted. I can be seen, right? Like if I put on like OpenSea, like my my collections are never going to be featured. They're never going to be searchable. Like I, you know, if you have the link, you can find it. Um, so at least, you know, the reason why there's such a fine, a hard line there is because, you know, there we still have this taboo and this, you know, awkwardness around. And, and this is where we just really need to figure out like how we deal with sexual content. And I think we have a really unique opportunity here, which is why I'm here in this space, which is why I'm so passionate about it. It's like we have an opportunity. We're in building phase and we can actually be leaders and set an example for the rest of everything to like how to deal with sexual content, how to like how to process it, how to deal with it. You know, one of the big concerns is is um, minors. You know, nobody wants children to see porn. You know, nobody wants children in porn. We all agree on that, right? And so, again, like, just the taboo around it all, I think, keeps it, um, really keeps us from making ground. And nobody really wants to mess with it. Uh, Like, why is gambling and, like, 
porn not like why is gambling and porn behind in the crypto space that blows my mind like gambling and porn have always been leaders in tech and you know pushing tech along but like until now now gambling and porn are behind in my opinion like there are a lot more cool shit being done not in the adult content sector you know the adult content sector is behind and it's because nobody really wants to mess with it but like we need people to mess with it you know what i mean we need to address it we need to figure out what the issues are how to deal with those issues and how to like let adults enjoy adult content um even like in a collector standpoint i feel like a lot of collectors don't collect adult stuff because they don't want to be associated with porn you know what i mean in their stuff like it, it why is it uh you know but this is, I think, like there's an aesthetic issue here too, which is that say you are a collector and you're going on super rare, right? You're not seeing any of this content if it's explicit, even if it, or much of this content if it's explicit, even if it is art first and like explicit erotic sexual content, pornography second, right? Like, again, your work, Hidden Truths, like that's really beautiful. It's, a, I mean, and it's not necessarily like an erotic artwork, but like that you create art first and then it is like sexuality second, or at least they're like, two things on equal footing. And it seems like by having this divide, we are forcing the two things to be considered in a separate category when that seems to be not the ideal way of treating sexuality or the human body. Like it can be, it can come across artistically and it should be able to come across artistically if that is the intention of the artist. And by having these kind of separate sites, separate platforms, which are exclusively home to like erotic content, it's disallowing those things to be considered art in the same context. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's actually helped me to make money, you know, like actually sell my work is focusing on like the niche, you know, adult platforms. But it also has kept me from being seen and actually maybe even making more money. Yeah, well, again, like I, there's a, a couple of works that come to mind when I think about like erotic artworks or sex forward artworks and like the canon right the quote-unquote canon um like valley exports touch cinema um if you guys are familiar with that she put like a a viewing theater covered in a curtain around her breasts and she was going around these cities in europe and asking people to like touch her breasts but behind this curtain um and i'm thinking of takashi murakami's my lonesome cowboy which is this like resin statue of this like anime figure with a, a giant erect penis and he's swinging a lasso made of semen and like these works are I mean, in, in one case, it's hyperbolically erotic, but like it kind of forced that divide to be reconciled with. And I guess I just have a fear that the further that these two things are considered apart from each other. And again, like we live in and work in this crypto art space, it's extremely puerile and juvenile. And I think run by people in oftentimes in their 20s and early 30s who don't have a ton of like experience or sensitivity to like the long-term view of these things but again there's like there's wonderful erotic art that's coming out in the world like yours included and i fear that it will not be considered in the same part they will not have a participation in that same canon because it is sequestered on some of these different chains um is that taking too much of the long view or am i i'm gonna i'm gonna say like just you know go back and think of how important the female form was right so you know the, the fact that we've like gone from you know this being in greek statues and renaissance paintings and then you know america happens and we have like some sort of weird puritanical revolution where all of this is supposed to happen behind closed doors i think it will i think it will ultimately in the same way like come back around or maybe there is like a, a sense as annie was saying of like shame in being perhaps like publicly associated or appreciative of, of this. Yeah. But you know, it's also not breaking any like new ground to suggest that all of that art, whether we're talking about like Greco Roman statues or like classical, you know, French Italian paintings, like all the female form there is so anesthetized and all the male form too, right. You go to a, the Met and you look at the marble statues, like none of them have erections right? None of them are sexualized. It's the human form desexualized in all these cases. And I feel like that happens here too. It's like these photographers who are generally men, which is important, who've like made their career taking nude or near nude photos of women, but they're never sexualized. They're like, they're completely desensitized from any kind of erotic world. It's this like Madonna paradigm. 
Well, isn't that weird too, that like it's the photographers taking the credit as well and never the models, right? So when the models come back and like create their own piece and try and, and monetize it, then it's like, no, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I just, it, it really like, it blows my mind that it is so like, so much easier to be a male photographer selling photos of women from the male gaze than it is to be, uh, you know, taking, you know, presenting your own content as a creator. It's, it's not received the same. It's not received the same. There's this uh, incredible uh, photographist, from uh, photographist, photographer. Um, I'm not sure where she's from in Europe. Her name is Nasta- um, Nastasia Parshina. And she creates these incredible compositional f- photographs that are, the, they evoke these like old kind of classical style um paintings um often featuring like the nude female form and for some reason and it never happens with like the works of like guido de Salle, for instance twitter tells me that like there's sent i have to say yes to sensitive content same thing happens with violet bond who's often taking pictures out in the australian outback of her own mm. body like face down in mud right but like if her butt's showing then i get this like nude content warning a sensitive content warning from twitter and that's just never applied to these Again, male proffered, male gaze centering photographs. I don't know why that is. Yeah, and I honestly think that really we need to just move into like it's fine. Like, like there's photographers and there are models, but I think really like the the blending of them and more of a collaboration effort. Like to me, when I see a photo, and I'm like, why why wouldn't the photographer credit the model? Like with with these, they have the opportunity to like that model could continue to earn from that photo that they're featured in. And I, I just would like to see more of that. Like, why not? Like, you know, so the current model is right now, it's like, okay, a photographer pays a model, they get paid, they're set them out, they sign a model release, that photographer has the rights to those photos, they never mention the model. The model's never mentioned. And maybe the model doesn't want to be mentioned, but maybe the model does want to be mentioned. Maybe it'd be to the photographer's benefit to mention the model. Maybe a more collaborative like approach would be a better approach. But definitely from my experience, I feel like more opportunities are given to photographers who are displaying, you know, this like desensitized, you know, version of, you know, the female form than it is to actually, you know, creators who are sharing of themselves. And sometimes I wonder too, I mean, I can't make sense of it either. And part of it I think has to do with like shadow banning and censorship. Like I cannot grow a following on Twitter or X, you know, because I'm shadow banned because I post nude art and nobody can see me unless you see me. So it takes people reposting my stuff. And even then you, you know, like it's still marked as sensitive content. It's impossible for sex workers. It's all, it's like, it is like most traditional artists who are not doing erotic art or stuff. That's like taboo. You couldn't even imagine the fucking bullshit, excuse my language, like that, that we have to go through, like just to even be seen, like it to even be heard. Yeah. I mean, it's, and again, like it, I hate to always take things back to like the aesthetics, but it's deleterious to my own experience of art because I'm only seeing, it doesn't matter what content or what kind of artistry would potentially be meaningful to me. I'm being sequestered into only appreciating these kind of versions of like the female form or of sexuality. These again, like anesthetized, like walking on a tightrope versions of male and female sexuality. I mean, Jason, um, Jason Abayer is another wonderful example. Like his work is incredibly sexual. It's incredible. You know, it's, it's, there's liquid, there's moisture, things are gleaming, there's bodies in contact with bodies, but it also, you know, it'll show breasts, but it rarely shows like genitalia. And for whatever reason, like that seems to skirt these algorithms. I think he's doing particularly like important work because he's forcing in some way, like these platforms to index his work alongside the work of the photographers or alongside the work of the abstract work that is like completely, you know, non, uh, not harmful at all. I mean, we've talked before on this podcast about uh, Rafik Anadol's piece at, uh, at MoMA uh, unsupervised, which is beautiful, but again, it has, it cannot possibly be construed in any way that is political or controversial to anyone. And at a certain point, if that takes over this space that at, like, again, at, at its outset was known for its like freedom, like it's just going to 
severely limit what people are actually experiencing getting out of the space when they come to it. I want to just move on quickly. Um, Annie, you had a post called Why Inventor Environmentalists Should Invest Heavy in Blockchain Porn. And you wrote that in 2019. And that was so early in the development of the NFT ecosystem. And you know we were still fielding the ridiculous um, climate change nonsense from uh, detractors up until like a year ago when Ethereum did its uh, move to uh, proof of stake or proof of history, whichever the one that is less environmentally detrimental. But I'm um, proof of stake. Thank you. Um, I'm curious, like in those four years, like how has the opportunity for sex work changed within this space? Like, do you feel it is better? Do you feel it is more sequestering? I feel like when I wrote that, I actually didn't even know about NFTs. That was like before I was even into NFTs. Um, I just saw the potential <laughs> of, of, of blockchain. Um, I feel we have a long way to go, but I feel like work is being done. And I feel like we just need more acceptance. <laughs> we, we need more eyes. Like I feel like the, the adult creator, like web three crypto NFT space is so like, I feel like I'm on an Island almost. And I've been like desperately trying to like reach out and connect with the greater community. But again, like, my reach is limited because I'm shadow banned because I post pictures of that contain my ass and my tits, um, actually in a very like artistic way, but it's still like flagged. Um, we still have a long way to go. Um, but I feel like there's work being done. Um, like Spank chain has been incredible. Um, pleasure network is making, um, a lot of doing a lot of stuff, making a lot of improvements. Uh, Tree Dow is also making some ground and doing some improvements. Mint Stars is really doing their thing as well. So there are becoming more opportunities, but I still feel like we have a long way to go. Not to totally put you on the spot here, um, but like you said, you're on this island. Like who else is on this island with you? Like if people are going to listen to this podcast, like who besides yourself or other like erotic creators who people should be looking out for or going to look for and braving the... Um, shadow bands to seek out yeah i mean honestly right now i'm working really closely with a just a small group of creators who are active within treat dow and with within pleasure network um atomic blonde she has a recent nft collection um honestly there's really like not a whole lot of significant movement from i from my personal experience i mean there's like the pleasure network creators there's the treat dow creators um but again, I personally feel on an island. I've made so many attempts to try to connect with like the nude art NFT community. I've tried to to connect with like the greater NFT community, and I feel like, despite my best efforts, like it's just not really happening. I'm not seeing it. I don't know how to connect with these people, and so maybe you know, just doing more things like this can help us bridge that gap between like the the people creating, you know, working in the adult web three space, like live X gem. Um, there's just so there's, there's just like, I feel like there's two different worlds. There's really is like a whole world going on in like the adult web three space. That's not being seen or heard about in the greater space. And I would like to, you know, like just having me on to talk about this is like really awesome. And thank you. Cause this can allow us to kind of bridge that gap a little bit more. For sure. I mean, again, it's like frustrating to me too. You know, I, I love your work and I love the work of Crypto Natrix and like, I, I want to see more sex positive works. I mean, also like, let's just call it what it is. Like, this is a space run by like, oftentimes, like, again, men in their 20s and 30s. Like, you would think that like erotic content would be like, right at the, uh, right at the top of the list of like what people would want here. Um, this is a, a totally like separate anecdote, but Again, I say this, I feel like on every podcast, but I'm a, I love dabbling in the Solana PFP world. And there's this guy, a creator there of a project and also of a platform named Tom, Soulport Tom. And he was like working in the porn world before he became an NFTs. And he was trying to get this project off the ground and it did and then it didn't. It's a bear market. But he's like, a lot of the communications from him recently have been like moving completely back into the world of like essentially uh, peaking that clientele right the fact that all of these are just like dumb stupid men in their 20s who like want to see women's bodies and want to see sexuality and it seems to be like embracing that but from like a vc business side um again i'm just it seems so strange to me that like there would be no vc 
institutional interest in like finding the money in this because there's clearly like a thirst for it. There is, but it's a hard, it's a hard business to be in. I mean, just think of it, crypto <laughs> and adult. Like it is literally the fringe of the fringe. You couldn't get any <laughs> Like who wants to deal with that, right? Like everyone thinks it's a great idea. Like, yes, it's a lot of money. Everyone loves porn, you know, but like, no, like the reality of actually doing that and doing it right is like, like when it actually comes down to it, it's like, nah, <laughs> you know, it's not really working out. What we need is not like we need less middleman. We need more control. And we need to recognize that there's a whole nother class of, of collectors like myself who aren't interested in the male gaze. I have my own gaze. I have my own taste and I'm a huge collector. And again, it's completely overshadowed. No one even notices the fact that I'm like a serious collector as well as a creator. And they continue to create things that aren't to my liking. And I keep trying to encourage these communities and keep trying to encourage even like more male creators too. It's like, not everybody wants to buy the male gaze. Like that's just so what we're trained to to believe in that everyone wants. And no, no, it's not it. Like there's a whole, like, and what I found is that most of my current supporters are other creators who are also women. And so now there's just this whole other opportunity and thing that's going on amongst the other adult Web3 creators where we're starting to develop strategies around how can we offer value to each other. Most of my collectors now are turning in to be like other creators as well. And we have like a really beautiful support system for each other and something that I just encourage like we just need to kind of move away from just expecting only the male gaze when it comes to sexuality because that's what we were trained to believe because that's what a small group of male executives wanted us to see. Colburn do you think that there's a, a roadmap towards like more kind of mainstream platforms to start adopting you know uh, an interest or an ethos that incorporates like you know adult erotic sexual artists or do you think the, that the thing like... is is that it, the the real crypto art thing is so antithetical to the platforming right so they don't want these people to have sovereignty they want them to be attached to the platform right and what we really are trying to do is go direct like creator to consumer without the need for any sort of intermediary and that is is really, really difficult, unfortunately. It is, I agree. And I feel like that's really the mo the, the biggest play for a lot of all creators is figuring inside of platforms because at any time we're subject to platforms deplatforming us. And even like, you know, these adult centric platforms, it's like, well, what happens when, you know, the powers that become for them? Like right now, I can easily like I make more money from crypto than I do you know, and, you know, just the, the regular, you know, fiat money world. And I can sell my crypto fairly quickly. But what happens when they come for Coinbase? Like, are they going to? Are they going to start attacking adult creators on Coinbase as well? Like there is, it's just known like adult creators are not only censored, but they're also denied financial access to financial tools, bank accounts being removed, denial, I, you know, of being able to get loans or even access a bank account to be able to, to withdraw their money. And so right now, crypto is a safe space. But I think we have a long way to go. And I, I think it's important to address because it's like, are we just going to keep allowing for people to just watch porn for free? Is that is that what it is? It's almost like, you know, we, we listen to music, right? And we, we listen to music and we don't think that we have to pay for it, right? So people watch porn and they don't think that they have to pay for it. But in the reality is like people have to make that music. People have to make that porn. You know, who's, how are these people, you know, getting paid? And it's actually, we want to empower people to make their own porn because that's a sign to me of a healthy society when we have a variety of sexual expression, not what's dictated by a small group of people. Like, yeah, sexuality is is as unique as each person and it's good that we have that expression we should have that that a variety of expression available yeah you know this is like the great lesson of my adult life from working in restaurants was like every time you sit down at a restaurant there's a folded napkin a person folded that napkin every time there's a shiny fork somebody polished that fork it's all these things you just take for granted. They they exist in the ecosystem. It's like no effort came into creating this, right? Every porn video you watch, there was 
a sound person or multiple. There were lighting people. There was makeup people. There was performers. There's the director. There's all like, you know, everything <laughs> takes a village. Um, a village should be compensated. I have no more uh, specific questions today. I think this was a really good conversation. Um, Annie, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and, you know, telling us what's what with the like adult world. Again, like you said, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about this. I'm sure a lot of people aren't even aware that it exists here. Um, anything you'd like to say to the people as a last kind of like parting words? Yeah. I mean, there was one more thing I wanted to say that I didn't get to. And it's Please. That I actually love the the bear market right now. <laughs> Maybe like unpopular opinion, but I love the bear market because we're preparing for a party that's to come. It's like we're preparing for a really big party that's to come. And we have now the opportunity when things are quiet and slow and low to actually prepare a appropriately for that big party that is to come and i think there's a lot of innovation that can come from the adult space but it definitely needs more more people to support it and i think a lot of it's just expected in a way in a weird way it's like it's like oh yeah you know porn obviously that's going to make money but like it takes people building it um it takes people helping to migrate people over. So yeah, I think we're preparing for the party and I think there's more we can do and I would like to help explore. I mean, I've kind of made it those, the rest of my life right now is to prepare for this party and help teach people, guide people. Well, thank you for coming on and, uh, and helping some people listen to this podcast, prepare and, and be a guide. We uh, really, really appreciate your time. Um, Colborn, anything you'd like to say to the people before we launch into a big advertisement for the fundraiser? This was cool. I just want to, you know, I'm grateful, Annie, for showing up um, and Max for like putting this all together because it's it's just cool to talk about. So many of the podcasts in this space are so like lame. It's just the same people over and over <laughs> talking about like how brilliant their inspirations are and, you know, their childhoods and things. And it's just there's so much more interesting shit. So, um, Annie, thank you so much for for telling us what some of that interesting shit is. Thank you. Thank you for for my medium i mean you brought up stuff that i haven't thought about in four years and i just really appreciate that so thank you in the words of a uh, nardwar we have to know it <laughs> um last thing before we go for everyone listening um we are holding a fundraiser right now open edition of the most wonderful artwork it's behind colborne's head if you're looking at the stream it's a giant mosaic made of 712 713 over 700 artists contributed their work to this wonderful mosaic. It's a dynamic NFT. It's really incredible. We're going to have people putting works up using our uh, this NFT as the token you can burn to redeem for their artworks. We're going to have all sorts of raffles and giveaways going for the next couple of months. We would love if you would uh, check it out and, and maybe consider owning one or a hundred or more uh, of these wonderful NFTs because they're, they're really wonderful and historic. Um, if you are a link person, you can go to app.manifold.xyz slash C slash mocha dash fundraiser dash 2023. Or uh, if you go to our Twitter, it's literally posted everywhere all the time and it will be for the next 10 days or so. So thank you very much to everyone listening to this. Thank you, Annie, for coming on. This was wonderful. Thank you, Coborn, uh, as always, for coming on your steadfast presence and your wonderful insight. Uh, we'll be back next week at around the same time. So uh, we will see everybody then. So thank you very much for being here. And we'll all talk soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Special thanks to Coburn Bell for always being here with me. Special thanks to Pollyanni for being our guest this week. Big thanks to Julian Brangold for creating our intro music. And big thanks to Dayfox for creating the cold open music. And thank you all for being with us.